Most entrepreneurs waste an insane amount of time trying to build their business. They are online 24-7, sacrificing their private life and burning out in the process. This is going to end right now. Welcome to the Content Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Virginia Reassis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, copywriter, business coach, and recovered workaholic. I know what it takes to go from burnt out and overwhelmed to building a six-figure business, posting only once a week and working less than five hours per day. My secret? Cutting out all the crap that doesn't move the needle forward in your business and producing content that actually attracts clients and gets you paid while living your best life. Want to create a business and a life you love? Sit back, relax, and let your content do the work for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Content Lounge Podcast. I am so excited because I have a very special guest today. Her name is Melissa and she is amazing. Melissa is a psychologist and she is in my mastermind. So I've really gotten to know her up close and I just knew I had to bring her on the podcast because the work that she does is so incredibly important. She helps people heal their attachment and their mother wounds. And this is something that I see in coaching all of the time as well. Your attachment will affect pretty much any relationship you have in your life. And if you aren't aware of what your attachment style is and you can't handle the behaviors that stem from it, it's going to be really, really hard to create the kind of life and the kind of relationships that you want, whether that be romantic, friendship, or even professional relationships. So I am so excited that you're here on the show today, Melissa. Thank you so much for, yeah, dedicating your time and letting us get to know you and your incredible work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. <laughs> yeah. So first off, where can people find you and what is the work that you do? I'll, I'll let you do that in your own words. Okay. So they can head over to attachmentrecovery.com and download a free PDF. And then it'll take me, take them to their calendar and take them to my calendar. And then they can book a call with me if that's what they'd like to do. They can find me on Instagram at attachment recovery or on YouTube at my name, Melissa Basie. And the work that I do is I am an, an attachment coach. So I help people heal their attachment wounding through my program called the attachment recovery program. And basically, we just go through and we do all of the underlying triggers, underlying traumas. We work through all of those from childhood and from adulthood. And we work towards having a more secure attachment style going forward. Mm -hmm. What different kinds of attachment are there? Okay. So we have... Two broad categories. We've got secure attachment and we've got insecure attachment. There is no subcategories with secure attachment, but under the insecure attachment, there's three subcategories. There is an anxious attachment style, an avoidant attachment style, and a disorganized attachment style. So the disorganized attachment style is the, the smallest out of those three there, it's not a very high percentage of the population has disorganized. Mostly people who have an insecure attachment style fall in the category of anxious or avoidant. And oftentimes the anxious and the avoidant attachment styles pair up into a relationship. And then that has that kind of push and pull, hot, cold, runner, chaser dynamic of the the anxious person trying to get more connection, trying to get validation, and the avoidant partner pulling away, not able to show up for the anxious person how they need them. Yeah, they kind of feel suffocated, no? The avoidant. Yeah, the avoidant definitely feels suffocated, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. So in coaching, I've regularly and gotten to know people's attachment style just by dealing with them maybe this is maybe this is something that you can give me input on so from my experience i would say the people who have the disorganized attachment styles in at least in coaching in the coaching client coach relationship a lot of the times they'll kind of like flip-flop between like really loving you and then being like 
also really upset at you. And it's kind of like they're, it's like they want to be really close, but then they also are like, ah, oh, this feels way too much. And then they're withdrawing and then they're ghosting for like weeks and stuff. Is that kind of like something that you feel would resonate? Like that, that was my interpretation. Like people who behaved that, that way, that it was an expression of their disorganized attachment versus people who, who had kind of like the avoidant attachment style. They were very easy to like ghost me. If they, for example, if we agreed like, okay, this is the kind of work that you do. And then maybe they didn't do it because life happened or whatever. Instead of asking for support, they would just kind of like ghost because they'd feel a lot of shame. Does that, is that kind of like how, how we would categorize that? Because I know a lot of the people who are listening, they're going to be working with clients and they will experience these client scenarios. Is that the attachment style playing? I think so. I think that sounds really resonant. Have you had an anxious attachment style? Yes. Two. So I don't think they're as easy to recognize. I do feel like they're, they tend to be the kind of clients that are very excited about you and they kind of put you on a pedestal where they're like, Oh, you're really amazing. And I really love everything that you do and every, and they, they don't actually think critically about the things you say. Cause in all coaching, it's like, here, let me, or especially in mentorship, when it comes to like a mixture of like, here's how I did it, or here are the different options that I could see and you present them to them. And I feel like the anxious ones are so scared of disappointing you or disagreeing with you. And they put you so much on a pedestal that they will not critically think about the options and they will just run with it. And then maybe later blame you because they're like, but this was so on the line. And I'm like, yeah, but you were supposed to leave what you didn't resonate with. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 It sounds like you definitely experience all of the insecure attachment styles from your coaching clients. Absolutely. It's interesting that disorganized is the first one that you came up with too, to tell me about because that's, that's only about 6% of the insecure population. And then, yeah, yeah. And then the rest is anxious and avoidant. The disorganized attachment style often is developed through a severe, like severe trauma. So that's where they get kind of that inability to connect. They want closeness, but they push it away. And yeah, so it's interesting that you've really noticed that. Do you notice that quite a bit? No, it's like the needle in a haystack kind of client. You don't yeah. necessarily see them coming. But yeah. when in your room, you will absolutely know that that's what their attachment style is. And what I found is that a lot of my, a lot of my high touch clients actually tend to have secure attachments or at least attachment awareness. Mm-hmm. So they've healed or they've done a lot of the work that you probably do with your clients as well. They, they build some awareness. So they're not as easily going into these autopilot reactions. letting their attachment or their insecure attachment drive every single decision that they make. So they've built the awareness and different responses. So they've kind of like taken control over that a little bit more. But what I notice with disorganized attachment, with clients who have disorganized attachment, it tends to be a really traumatic experience because it doesn't make sense for you. And it doesn't make sense to many of my clients. And this is something where a lot of the times they'll come to me and they'll like have client PTSD where they're like, I don't think I can ever do a one-on-one coaching session again because, oh my God, like people are so like, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what I did wrong. And like, it will like que- make them question if they are not solidly grounded in their, in like the awareness of who they are and and their self-belief and their confidence themselves, it will really shake them to the core. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's so interesting. Because often as psychologists, we're we're conceptualizing the attachment style through the lens of their romantic relationship. But it certainly does apply to all different types of relationships. And people can be different attachment style in one area of their life than in another area of their life too, which is interesting. 
Yeah. So it's super important that we get to secure attachment with all, like with money, with colleagues, with our romantic partners, with our family members. Yeah. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Because that is something I kind of figured that your your attachment style would kind of touch on like every aspect of your life or it would be like more of a general thing. So can you tell me more about like how, like how can someone be securely attached with, let's say, money, but then insecurely attached with like romantic partners or with their coaches or like not being able to like allow the connection that you need in coaching or in friendship? Hmm. So it just boils down to their past history of trauma and what they've been through. So if they've been through something traumatic with friendships, let's say, then with their friends, they are going to present with an insecure attachment style. If they grew up with difficult money challenges in their family, then they might have an insecure attachment style with money, but not with their romantic relationships. So say they saw their parents have a great marriage, but didn't do well with finances, then there's a good chance they're not going to feel secure attachment to finances, but they're going to be able to figure out how to get a secure attachment in, their, in the area of their romantic life. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Which, let's define the word trauma, because I don't know how many people who are listening to to the show actually understand the concept of trauma. Yeah, so trauma is when something happens too much, too fast, too soon without the resources in to self-soothe in that moment. So it's just an overwhelming of the senses of the nervous system by whatever trigger happens. And it's just too much, too fast, too soon. Mm-hmm. Can you give me some like concrete examples? Like what could happen to, let's say, an attachment is formed very, very early, right? In life. So what could happen to a child that would create, like, let's say, insecure attachment? So that's going to come from a misattuned primary caregiver. So even if the primary caregiver, let's just call it the mother for ease, even if the mother is a really great mom, she... She attends to their needs, you know, for food, shelter, clothing, that kind of thing, but doesn't have an attunement to the emotional landscape, then the child is going to feel misunderstood and start to develop the insecure attachment style. So it's not always like people from terrible parents. It's just what they, what psychologists call goodness of spit. And so it's how well does the personality of the child and the mother fit together and how well can that mother attune and show up for that child? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. So if we had, I'm currently thinking about like a lot of the people that I work with or that I support. One example I think that is quite traumatic for uh, or that was quite traumatic for, for some of my clients as, as children was, were parents who were very focused on achievement beyond the point of like what the child could maybe cope and handle. So like a lot of pressure, anything less than an A is acceptable. You have to do all the extracurricular activities. Doesn't matter if you're tired or sick or whatever, you just do it. So for example, that could cause yeah absolutely that would be a misattunement to the child's capabilities and needs and it sounds like the love is very conditional as well so if you're doing good then you're going to be rewarded with happy secure home life but if you're not living up to the expectations then there's going to be punishment and so that's going to definitely Trauma, there's going to be attachment trauma that's involved in that situation for sure. Yeah. I'm definitely, I definitely got traumatized trying to learn piano when I was little because my father was obsessed. He comes from like such a musical family and I hated my piano teacher and I didn't like playing piano, but I was also talented. So I had to play for like eight years. And every Sunday night, they'd be screaming and crying to the point where my mother actually would have to go for a walk because she couldn't take it. And it was like, 
Hollywood worthy the way I like tantrumed and I just had under tears I had to practice because Monday afternoon was piano lesson (laughs) that is definitely something my kids will not learn piano unless they really want to it's only about to stop playing piano when I bit into the piano and made the biggest scratch mark that's ripped at the age of 14 okay (laughs) wow I agree I like had no other place to put my anger, and that's when my dad understood. Like, okay, maybe she really doesn't want to play piano. Yeah, it's vandalizing. <laughs> but I feel like that was a very specific type of trauma that maybe just affected my relationship with music and extracurricular yeah. activities, yeah. rather than um, my overall relationship. All right. Okay. So. We've kind of, we've defined what trauma is. Attachment gets formed very early on and it will vary in like different areas of your life, depending on the kinds of experiences and traumas that you've made. Now, if someone wanted to like identify what kind of attachment they have, attachment to other people, maybe can we define the word attachment to just to be sure that there's no misunderstanding? Yeah. So with, when we talk about attachment in this context, it's within the context of attachment theory, which is a psychological theory that describes how people attach to various things in their life. And so it doesn't always have to happen in childhood. It can certainly happen in adulthood. So a child who grew up with a secure attachment goes on in life. Imagine they get into a relationship with somebody who's got profound insecure attachment style, that person can also be pulled into insecure attachment. But in the same way that they can be pulled into insecure attachment, somebody who has a very secure attachment style can pull somebody with an insecure attachment out into security. It just depends on on the spectrum how serious, because attachment, insecure attachment is on a spectrum. It can be like very deep, deep rooted, or it can be just a little bit. And so if it's just a little bit and they get into a relationship with a securely attached person, they can become securely attached. So this stuff is in motion, even in adulthood. It's not always what's happened in childhood. It's just mostly what happened in childhood. Cool. That means when someone works with you, they can like work that up and and pretty much get to secure attachment through the work that you do with them, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So let's come back to the point of like, okay, how can I identify yeah. attachment I have? Which clues are there? From, ideally from like everyday life, what can give me hints? Okay. So with a securely attached person, they are going to feel very confident. They are going to feel curious with their partner. So if their partner has an issue, they they can get curious about it versus getting backed up and defensive with an insecure attachment style. You're going to find a lot more defensiveness. You're going to find a lot more like of the running, chasing dynamic that happens between avoidance and anxiouses. Anxiouses, I don't think of worse. (laughs) or even with the disorganized attachment style. So with the anxious attachment style, that's going to be a lot of neediness, desperation, needing validation, needing just constantly in a state of need from the partner. An avoidant attachment style is going to be pulling away. They are going to be shut emotionally shut down. They're going to be hyper-independent. They're going to be wanting to do things on their own and they're not going to be wanting to show up in this emotionally vulnerable way that their anxious partner is wanting. And then the disorganized partner is, as you said, it's really, really hot and cold. So sometimes they present as anxious and sometimes they present as avoidant. And it's all because of oftentimes trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting. It's, if you... I, I know I had insecure attachment with like friendship groups because I would, for example, like I would text someone and then I'd overthink that text message like to the point of exhaustion. If he didn't reply right away, I'd be like, what did I do wrong? And like, oh my God, I would go on like such bad thought spirals. 
and not just with like my close friends, but other moms that I met at kindergarten, if they're like canceled on the play dates like two or three times because kids get sick, surprise, I'd be like, did I do something? Like, did they find me in social media? What's going on? Why are they canceling? Did I say something stupid or so on? So it it would like really send me spiraling. So I definitely had like, I can tell what that insecure attachment probably would have looked like versus I never had that when I was dating. Never. Like when I was dating, I would send a text message and either you reply or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I never settled for anything less than what was really awesome. And that's why I kind of never really had a longer term relationship. Not because I couldn't have had it, but I just was like, you don't meet the standards. Sorry. Uh, until I met my husband. And when I met him, we were like faced with challenges right away because I only had like six weeks in San Francisco. I met him like roughly six weeks before I left for New York. And then we were two years long distance right away. So it was like, I deliberately, I, I thought about it and I was like, well, if I want to give this relationship a chance, then I have to trust. So I'm just going to trust and we'll see what happens. So I guess that would be like a really secure attachment because I never felt that anxiousness that I felt like friendship groups. So that's really interesting to hear. I also didn't, I didn't realize that there was this difference, but now that you pointed it out, it's something that like, right now I can't unsee it. It's kind of like, yeah, you're one of the examples of somebody has an insecure attachment in one area of your life and a secure attachment in another area of your life. Interesting. Cool. Learn something about myself. Not <laughs> <laughs> and I was not aware of. But yeah, eventually I decided that this is not something I want to keep entertaining with my friends. And I decided for myself that I no longer take the responsibility of speaking up when there is a if there, or like presuming getting up my little crystal ball and looking for all the ways there could be a problem like they're adults if there's a problem it's their responsibility to speak up and until that time when they like until they actually speak up i will no longer entertain these insecure attachment thoughts and it's so hard but when i notice myself going there i'm like nope not available and that was something i i decided on Actually, just in like the beginning of 2023, like January 2023. Awesome. Put in place some good boundaries and now you're reaping the rewards of having secure attachment in multiple areas. I'm not sure it's secure yet, but it's a lot less insecure. (laughs) So on the spectrum, it's just getting to be more secure. And I also like, I also actively did like self-coaching. Where, for example, if someone would answer me like two weeks later because they were so busy, I'd be like, oh, Virginia, people are busy. You can just acknowledge that without going into a complete drama in your mind. And so every time something like that happened, I would take it as kind of like proof to like strengthen that self-belief of like things are okay. Or if someone actually did bring up a problem, I was like, you can trust that adults can bring up problems. I'm self-coaching. Good. That's so, so healthy. So I don't think... learn how to do that. Yeah, that was what I was like going to say. As like, I would not have these skills if I wasn't coaching other people for business. Like if I didn't have coaching degrees and certifications in order to support my clients. And then I applied these methods. I Like some of this... Uh, these coaching methods are things that I apply for business, for building confidence, for getting my clients more grounded, for helping them say the things that they want to say on social media without having a complete mental, emotional breakdown and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to build that confidence, those are like very similar tools I used with myself. But I wouldn't have these skills if I didn't have this business. It's something I'm tremendously grateful for. It's amazing. Good for you. Self-coaching, I love that. So, but let's talk about how you work with your clients because I'm fully aware that not everyone has like self-coaching skills and they can massively benefit from your expertise because you're also also a certified psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not just quote unquote someone who's coaching on the internet. Like you have legit credentials and 
And like you actually know in depth what you're talking about. Like you are a really powerful coach. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I've been a registered psychologist for since 2015. It's terrible at math. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Almost a decade of experience. Yeah. If you have your education, that's over a decade. Mm-hmm. Ugh, what a yeah, exactly. So I've been doing it for a while. And the way I help my clients is teaching them how to become their own secure base. So once they know how to drop into themselves and rely on the resources that they themselves have, so that means regulating their nervous system, being able to work with the different parts of them inside that have different perspectives, that's when we can really begin to get that shift in attachment styles. So yeah, it's, I, I don't know if you've heard of parts work before. Have you heard of parts work? I've read it in your content, but I don't think I've heard of it. Yeah. So it comes from a theory called internal family systems. And internal family systems takes a family counseling model and applies it to the individual. And basically, it looks at the different parts of us inside as different family members on the inside. And we are then communicating and interacting with these different parts of us inside from a place of what's called self-energy, where you are the parent you never had and you deal with the different parts that are coming up in a really loving, validating way. And you begin to repair your parts in ways that you may have never experienced parenting like that before. So if you didn't have an attuned primary caregiver, you then become that person who is attuned to your different parts. Did that all make sense? What are the different parts that you have, though? So I understand the part of like, okay, you become like the loving, caring parent, attuned parent that you never had. But what, who deals with the parts? What are, what is the parts? So parts are like, say you have a friend that just did something amazing. You could have a part that is super happy for your friend, but then a part that's also jealous of your friend. And so you've got these two parts inside of you that are in conflict. And we can look at that. There's so many different examples of conflicting parts. Grief is another one where you could be sad to have lost something, but you can also feel glad to have lost that thing too. It might be a, a less of a load on your plate. So basically what you want to do is listen to those two parts, go and interact with them and dialogue with them and validate them and let them know that their perspective matters and that they matter. And once they start to trust that you care enough about them, that you're validating them, that you're with them, that you have their back, that you're not going to go anywhere, they start to relax and release. So let's go back to that example of like, there's a part that's jealous and then there's a part that's happy for the person. The jealous part can begin to release because you go inward and you dialogue with it. You start to understand it. And then it can start to just soften and kind of be there to alert you or warn you of various things that might come up, but it's not going to be so loud in your consciousness that it gets in your way of living your life. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So if I had to compare that to something that I know a lot of the listeners will will very much relate to, jealousy and happiness for someone, I, I think is a fabulous example. Probably also the excitement and the anxiety of making an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like you can acknowledge like, oh, I have big feelings about that. I I feel really excited because like this could be my big breakthrough. And also, holy shit, what have I done? And what did I just commit to? And oh my God, and all of the feelings. So in parts work, you would probably talk to you or communicate with the part of you that's freaking out and anxious. I'm like, all right, I I see you. I hear you. Yes, it's a big investment. And then find ways of like, okay, this is how we can deal and manage it. And then also with the part that's really, really excited, because I think like, ecstasy is also a form of dysregulation a little bit yeah yeah it can certainly be yeah so then talking 
talking to that part as well, being like, all right, okay, we still want to be grounded enough to like take action and implement the things and so on and come from a like more regulated kind of middle ground. Is that is that how it works? Yeah, the only thing I would kind of adjust in there is you said you would talk to the part, validate the part, and then come up with a game plan. So that's where I would avoid, I would avoid any kind of coming up with a game plan with parts. The point of dealing with the parts is to let them feel heard and to let them know that you have their back. You're not going to go anywhere. And even if the worst case scenario unfolds, you're going to be right there with that part. Okay. Yeah. And then... You make the game plan from self-energy. You don't really run it by the parts because it's... Parts are like children. They don't really need to know like how you're going to solve the issue. As the parent, you solve the issue, but you validate the child. If they're scared, you let them know like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here. Even if the worst case scenario does unfold, I've got you. And that's what allows the part to really soften and release and not hijack your consciousness and drive you to behave in ways you don't want to behave. Oh my God. That brings up so many memories when you said like parts are like children from like parenting baby E, which is my, my younger, younger child. And she's a kid with huge emotions, like huge. They run, they roll over her like a tsunami, like a steam train it's jesus this poor kid and in the beginning she would trigger me like crazy like how dare you scream that much she would scream for like hours every day it was it was oh my god all of the feelings it was so overwhelming and only when i learned to properly validate and like just be like yeah i see it you're really angry at this you really didn't want that to happen and you're you're really frustrated and that's okay it's normal that you feel frustrated about that thing and also we still have to put on shoes in winter she could stop escalating it like she didn't need to scream so loud anymore because she no longer felt like she had to escalate it because no one was getting her so that's exactly what the parts work just like brought up for me i was like oh yeah all right like kids that sounds very familiar so parenting had Number one, go from Melissa's program, learn to parents work and use it on your kids. Yeah, exactly. Because our kids are going to be triggering our parts and our parts are, you know, triggering their parts. So if you learn how to work with parts, if you learn how to work with your own parts, you're going to be able to work with your children's parts a lot more. Mm, Nice. That's like added benefit. Yeah. You get an attachment recovery program and also you're going to be so much better at parenting. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense. When you learn to be attuned to yourself, you're probably a lot more attuned to like everyone around you. Exactly. Yeah. It makes it, there's like less risk of attuning to people, attuning to others because they're, they can't scare you. They can't throw you off kilter because you have your own back and you're always showing up for your parts and no matter what anyone else brings to the table you've got you and so you don't need to be destabilized or ungrounded that's amazing i really think every single person should be doing attachment work and like get to know themselves and like learn how to reparent themselves it sounds like a lot of the things that you've done i mean i only know you since you joined the mastermind which is middle of this year but it it really sounds like a lot of really wonderful a a lot of really wonderful work that you do with your clients that is so healthy and so good for the soul and for your relationship and just the overall quality of your life when you're no longer running in fear that you're going to be abandoned or that you're going to be suffocated or that people will betray you or all of the other things or money will always be flowing away from you and running through your fingers like sand like it's just it sounds like you create so much peace of mind for people with your work yeah yeah well that's that's my goal that's my hope and yeah i mean the testimonials that have been coming out of the program have been phenomenal so i think the program is super potent and it works 
Amazing. So can you tell us a little bit more about the program? So what is the work that people will go through step by step? And how would their life look like after graduating from the program? Or like, how would they feel? Like, what would be different for them? Like, what is the notable difference for them to see that, oh, yeah, this worked? Yeah. So the notable difference that lets them know it worked is they're able to work with their parts. So no matter what comes up, they know how they really know how to work with their parts because it's like one thing for me to just kind of quickly tell you this is how you attend to parts, treat them like children or whatever. But when you, when you learn step by step and I have them hand in their assignments and I look them over and I give them feedback to make sure that they're getting it right. There is one particular technique that I use called a nurturing voice and it teaches you exactly how to speak to your parts with a nurturing voice. So that's very validating, very loving, very calming. It's never like, you've got this, da da da. It's not any of that because your parts don't need to hear you've got this. Keep going, push through. They're not wanting to push through for some reason. So we need to understand and hear from them. Why don't you want to push through what's really going on here? So piece by piece. Module one is understanding yourself and it's working with your childhood trauma, looking at your relationship with your parents and yourself. Module two is going into attachment theory and looking at your own, your own attachment style and looking at how to heal your attachment style. Module three is parts work. Module four is adult trauma because as we talked about earlier in our conversation, adult trauma can certainly fuel the fire of attachment wounding. Module five is all about grief and it's getting things up and out, up and out, up and out. And then module six through eight is an action plan on how you're going to get your attachment style to where you want it and daily practices you can do to keep it that way. And yeah, so. But yeah, I would say the biggest thing that people come away with from the course is knowing is when they are triggered, they know what to do with it because that's not going to go away. Right. So it's more teaching on how to live in this world, not change the world, but change themselves. Yeah, because that's the one thing you actually have in control. That is so powerful. All right. And who would be the perfect person to like go through this program? Mm, somebody who has that insecure attachment style, somebody who feels unsafe, unsure in their relationship, somebody who shows up to their relationship kind of wishing that it had certain qualities that it doesn't have. I'm trying to be really broad here with every attachment style because it's real. this program is really for every attachment style, but it would be for somebody who feels anxious about their relationships all the time. This would be somebody who feels avoidant and pulls away from their relationships and doesn't know why they're super independent and why they don't want to be closer in connection with their partner. And then somebody who experiences both that anxious and avoidance, somebody who has a lot of trauma in their background. We certainly work through all of that trauma and you're not on your own doing it. Like I said, I read through the assignments. I go through it with people and I help them process all of their emotions as we go. Oh, that's a, such a life-changing journey. I mean, that just sounds fantastic. And I can I can really attest, like, your life quality will change so much when you understand attachment theory and you understand your own attachment and how you respond to triggers and how to navigate these triggers. Because as you said, like, things will be brought up and and people will say things or you will see something on the news or you will see something on online on social media that will bring up your insecurities, that will bring up your traumas. And you need to know how to deal with them rather than letting the thing deal with you. Yeah, 100%. Ugh, amazing. Okay, so you have your, you, you've come a really long way, over a decade of experience doing this work. We've defined what's attachment, what's trauma, how to identify these things. There's one other component to your work that I want to touch on. Mm -hmm. 
because I've also read it on your social media, and that's the mother wound. Mm-hmm. How does the mother wound relate to all of the things that we've talked about so far? Yeah, so the mother wound is usually intergenerational. It's something that's passed down from mother to mother. And it's all about kind of breaking the cycle and stopping passing that down to your own children. So the mother wound is oftentimes present and people have attachment trauma because it's that primary caregiver and it's the person who was misattuned to them. So when we're looking at the mother wound, we're looking at the pain that's been caused and then what the fallout has been because of that tough relationship that you've had with their your mom. And oftentimes the follow is low self-worth and not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough of whatever it is that you are wanting to call into your life. Okay. Do you have some concrete examples how someone could recognize that they have a mother wound? Like how does that not feeling worthy or like the low self-worth How would that manifest or how could I recognize that if that is something I'm struggling with? Well, I would say like you look at somebody who has an anxious attachment style, they are constantly not feeling good enough. And so that's why they're reaching out to their partner and trying to get their partner to validate them and give them what their mother never gave them. With somebody with an avoidant attachment style, their mother wound might look like a mother who just never showed up, was you know, with an with an anxious attachment style, the mother wound is a mother who sometimes shows up, sometimes doesn't show up, but is rarely attuned. With an avoidance attachment style, that's somebody who never really had a mother showing up at all for what they needed. And so they just learned to pull away. I forgot what your question was, though, around... What was it again? Around... How you would recognize that you have a mother wound. Yeah. So with, yeah. So some, so low self-worth is at play in all attachment styles. It just looks a little differently. So that's what I was trying to nuance there was that low self-worth, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, not feeling like they can present who they truly are authentically in the relationship and be loved for that. That's something common that every attachment style has Mm -hmm. okay i'm thinking of like mother wound examples that i've know of known of heard of worked with with clients or read about stuff like being judged for your weight Mm -hmm. being criticized for how you look how your hair is unkempt and so on Mm -hmm. Or the way you support the household, mm-hmm. I think those are all like typical examples or like being, again, super achievement oriented, like only connecting with the child kind of like when when they had good grades or always asking like, how did your exams go? What do you need to study? Those are all like typical examples of like mothers causing mother wounds. Absolutely. Those are all typical examples of it. But then there's some atypical examples. Like I had one client who was, who was gay and her mom was super supportive and she helped her come out of the closet. She walked her through it all. She, her mom made her the center of her life. And so her mother wound is around living to make mom happy as opposed to just living your life, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this person who seems to have the perfect mother. This is a person, this mother shows up, this mother encourages, this mother validates, but this mother also kind of suffocates. And the client is unable to feel differentiated from their mother they feel guilty when they're not doing what their mother wants them to do because their mother's done so much for them, that kind of thing. So there's not really like one type of mother wounds. There's so many different types of mother wounds. But the way we know we have the mother wound is when we're getting triggered by our mom or thoughts of our mom. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
That makes complete sense. Is there also so- okay? I need I need to sequence my thoughts because I have so many questions, and your work is so incredibly interesting. And again, I think everybody should should know these things because they were truly life changing. Okay, so about the mother wound. Okay, I got that. Makes complete sense. Definitely something I had to learn. I took so much responsibility for my mom's happiness. That was something after my first child was born. Like, I took an entire year off, like, private coaching. Cause I was like, I don't understand why I'm always angry at my mom. And now that I'm a mom, it's like, that feels big. Yeah. Oh. Would you also say these like mother mothers-in-law who like overstep boundaries also can contribute to that? Like ability to deal with them? Yeah. Really anything a mother does. <laughs> you know, like we talked about earlier, that goodness of fit, right? If there's not a natural goodness of fit between parent and child, trauma can and will ensue. And then it needs to be worked out. This is, you know, this imperfect world that we live in where nobody's trying to hurt anyone, but a whole lot of hurt does get passed down through the generation. And we need to just work on breaking those cycles. Yeah, I think this is really important for everyone who is a parent also to like acknowledge like parents in most cases are trying their best with what they have. And a lot of the times they're passing on all of the stuff that they didn't receive either in terms of like emotional attunement or love or care. I know my mom has a massive mother wound. I'm not even sure it comes from her mother, but I actually think it comes from her great, her grandmother, my great grandmother, at least from like the stories. And I insist that my mother needs to like get therapy so that she can work these things through and actually find more happiness again. Yeah. Because she was raised in a generation like my great grandparents, they went through both wars. Like they were teenagers when the first world war happened. And then they were adults parenting almost teen, my almost teenage grandmother when the second world war happened. And we live in Germany. Like they weren't German. They were, were Czech, but the, like the Germans invaded that area. And then the Russians came in. It was a whole like. Everybody was kind of just there. Well, and I mean, you be happy. You have a roof over your head and food on the table and nothing else mattered. It was a screw emotional and mental need. And it really, truly affected the entire generation of like my parents and slightly above. At least here in Germany, like they all have so many, so many wounds to, and so much to, to work for. Yes. Yeah. And the process is really the same, you know, learning how to work with those parts, learning how to speak to yourself with that nurturing voice that you may have never experienced from your mother. The healing process, it does look the same. It's just kind of this mother wounding is really prominent for people who have attachment issues. Mm. Yeah. And of course, if they haven't received it, there's no way they could pass anything better on unless they did the work to rework this. So if you have kids or you want to have kids, it's a really good idea. That's when, for me, this work started. I was completely oblivious to all of this six years ago. So for me, it like all came up when I had kids and yeah, they came up and they brought the triggers with them. And then it was either I learned how to deal with them and how to deal with myself or motherhood is going to be a really hot ride. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is there also such thing as a father wound? Yes, there is. Yeah, absolutely. How is that different from the mother wound? Well, it's just really that the father created the wound. And so the father wound can, can look in all sorts of ways, just like the mother wound can. But if it was your father who did the prominent wounding, then you would, you know, there's probably some people who have the father and the mother wound. Absolutely. But oftentimes it's one parent or the other who you generally feel that wound from and just kind of work through it in that same process that I was talking about earlier with the parts work. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I know you also have something coming up for the mother wound. 
right? So if you've identified like, yeah, I'm always angry at my mother or always ends up in arguments and so on, where people do, because that's that's something new that's coming, right? Yeah. So I'm going to be doing a masterclass in January around the mother wound. And it's going to be all around the feelings that you are left with from having the mother wound. So that's going to be feeling, you know, insecure sometimes, angry, not good enough, low self-worth, low self-esteem. And so we're going to be working through the feelings that come from the mother wound and then how we can approach the healing aspect of it. Ugh, amazing. That sounds like a really fun master class and a really important one. So I'm going to keep my eyes open for that one. This way to follow you will probably be Instagram. Yeah. So that's attachment recovery. That's my handle. And then YouTube is Melissa Basie. Okay. Well, we'll see when we share the podcast episode. I'm going to definitely link you in the podcast episode. And if this comes out like after January, we're going to see if we can link the master class as well. Cause okay really really important work and i'm super super passionate and so grateful that you were on the show oh thank you so much this was awesome yeah i'm so happy that you you shared your expertise your knowledge truly like from the bottom of my heart like everybody needs to do this work you're gonna (laughs) so dramatically improve the quality of your life your happiness how you feel around other people it's gonna be such a game changer and the world would be so much better place if we were all able to talk to ourselves with kindness and extend that same level of kindness to other people, to our children, raise them to be more emotionally intelligent and aware than many of us were when we were raised. And I really think it would make such a huge difference in the world and in everything, in your life, your business, your romantic relationships, your success, everything. 100%. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I will see you in our mastermind chat. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Content loungers, listen up. This is your chance to ditch the hustle and take a massive leap in your business and your income. This month, one of you guys is going to work with me one-on-one and together we will create a content strategy that turns you into a client and money magnet without working more. This is valued at over $2,000. And to get in on this, simply leave me a five-star review, take a screenshot and DM it to me on Instagram. Wishing you all massive success in your business. See you next week. And until then, Sit back, relax, and let your content do the work for you.